So how y'all doing? Happy Sunday. I saw a post on Facebook this week that really made my day. It said something like, Sunday's almost here, yeah! Most people just aren't that pumped about church. And it's sad, because this is awesome. I mean, there's not much I'd rather be doing. I enjoy getting together with y'all. Well, uh, we're in the book of 1 Samuel. And, you know, when I think about the Bible, maybe you are the same as me. I think about miracles. And I think about men and women of God who are, like, touching heaven, if you know what I mean. It's, it's just, it's all good. But I don't think about the fact that these people's lives were oftentimes miserable. I mean, the, he- the Bible, it's a dirty book. It-, it talks about real life. We think we have it bad sometimes, and we're like, oh, if I could only have, like, Moses, or if I could only have, like, Jeremiah, or if I only had, the, like, Peter. These guys suffered. So we're in a section of Scripture where it's not dandy roses today. Hopefully I'll send you out of here still with a smile on your face, but it's going to take a lot of work because... These men went through some hard times. Chapter 27 in 1 Samuel, David, who is anointed king of Israel, he's the next king in line, so we'll call him the crown prince. He moves to the land of the Philistines. Now, why would the next king of Israel move to the land of the Philistines? If you didn't know this, the Philistines to them were like Afghanistan to us. You know, imagine living over there, fighting with the United States military, and then moving over to Philistia. Why would you do that? Well, King Saul threatened his life time and time again, and he had to flee for his life. So he moves into Philistia. While David's there, the Philistines all gather together to make war against Israel. Where does David live? Philistia. Who's gathering to make war against Israel? Philistia, the Philistines. David marches with the Philistines to go to war against Israel. Would David really go to war against Israel? I don't think so. But he was on his way there. What what was he going to do? All sorts of commentators have talked about it. Here's my guess. David was planning on going to war. And as soon as the battle started, he and his men would attack the Philistines. That's what I think would have happened. Something ended up happening. David gets ejected from the army. So he goes, and all the other Philistine kings say, wait a minute, isn't this David? Isn't this the one they sang about after he killed our Goliath? Saul has slain his thousands, David's his tens of thousands. This man is not going to war with us. Send him home. So he gets kicked out of the army, him and his men, and they get back to their home village of Ziklag to find it on fire and everybody gone and the entire place pillaged. His entire village enslaved, including his wives, children, all his friends' wives and children. Well, while David is marching against the Philistines and all this is going on, King Saul of Israel sees the vast number of Philistines, and he's scared to death. So he goes and he consults uh, a medium, trying to get some advice on how to deal with this. So chapter 27, David moves to Philistia. Chapter 28, the Philistines gather to attack. Saul seeks out a medium. Chapter 29, Philistines eject David from the army. Chapter 30, 
David and his men find the village destroyed. This is just great news after great news. David's men were so upset with him, they wanted to stone him. They cried, they raged, they mourned. But then they did the right thing. David went to God. And David said, can we go after our people? Will you deliver them into our hands? And God said, yes, go get them. So David and his men went after him. Some of the guys were so exhausted they had to stay behind. The others went, found the guys all drunk, celebrating their great victory over the innocent women and children. And David killed them all, and his men took all the booty. And now they've got only their wealth back, but the wealth from several other villages. It all worked out pretty good. While that's going on, David's fighting for his life against these guys. Israel is being attacked by the Philistines, and they lose. Saul's three sons get killed, including Jonathan, David's best friend. And Saul gets shot by multiple arrows, and he knows he's going to die. That's where we step into the story. The Philistines were fighting Israel at Mount Gilboa. We know where Mount Gilboa is. I got a photograph for you here. This is what, the, what it looks like. This is where the battle happened. Israel's soldiers ran from the Philistines, and many of them were killed. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons. The fighting was fierce around Saul, and he was badly wounded by enemy arrows. Saul told the soldier who carried his weapons, his armor bearer, kill me with the sword. I don't want these worthless Philistines to torture me and make fun. But the soldier was afraid to kill him. Saul then took out his own sword. He stuck the blade in his belly and fell down on the blade to kill himself. When his armor bearer saw what had happened, he took out his sword, stuck the blade in the belly, killed himself. Thus is the end of King Saul's family and his reign over Israel. Chapters 27 through 31. Wow, good times. <laughs> talk about depressing. So there's a lot in there I want to talk about. I think I'll start with probably the most distressing topic in there. The topic that comes to mind is suicide. Um, pastors are often asked about suicide. Um, the question is usually, hey, if somebody commits suicide, can they go to heaven? You know, to us who go to seminary and study books, oh, it's a theological question. I get to share with you my vast knowledge. But why are people asking that question? Because somebody in their family might have just killed, killed themselves? Because maybe they're thinking about killing themselves? So this isn't like, do you believe in the rapture kind of question. This is a question that gets into people's lives and hearts. They're asking for a reason, usually. It's very rarely that they're asking just because they want to know. Suicide. In giving it some thought, and in having talked to people, and have, having read some things, there's one reason and one reason only worldwide that people will kill themselves. One reason. Utter hopelessness. That's it. You can get it down to that. They see no other hope. They're so discouraged. They're so distraught. They're so hurt that they think the only way out is to kill themselves. So talking about suicide, how do you teach about something that that's emotionally charged? That's so painful to people. It doesn't seem like it's something to teach about. It's something to, you know, sit down and cry about. I had a friend who told me, because he talked to somebody whose 12-year-old had killed 
himself. And the mom, of course, was inconsolable. And the question came up, you know, is there a place in heaven for my 12-year-old? And the answer that my friend gave was something like this. I'm not, a, not nearly the kind of compassionate, eloquent man that he is. But he said something like this. God knew that your 12-year-old was miserable and could only be happy in heaven. So he got to go there sooner. Good answer. Good answer. So, Steve, you're saying that suicide's okay? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he comforted this woman in a very good, godly way. So then you're seeing suicides, people are going to not go to... I'm not saying that either. Well, what does the Bible say about it, Steve? Well, suicide is mentioned six times in the Bible. And there's not one verse in there that says, thou shalt not commit suicide, and if thou dost, thou shalt not go to heaven. It doesn't say that. There's only six examples of it happening. I just showed you two of them. Saul fell on his sword. His armor bearer fell on his sword. I do know this. Of the six suicides in the Bible, five of them were by wicked men killing themselves. So I'm not saying all, only wicked people kill themselves. I'm not saying that. But the stories in the Bible, the only ones that are recorded are the wicked men killing themselves. With the exception of that armor bearer, we don't know if he was wicked or not. Now, some people would say, no, there's not six instances of suicide. There's seven, if you count Samson. Okay, you could count Samson. I don't count Samson because his goal wasn't to go out and kill himself in despair. His goal was to take out as many Philistines as possible. It was battle. He knew he'd die in the battle, and he was okay with that. There's a passage that might apply to suicide. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So it says nothing about suicide. It just says you should take care of your body because it's not really your body. God bought you. Jesus purchased you when he died on the cross. So I think we all know it's not right. But the big question isn't, is it right or it's wrong? Here's the big question. Does suicide disqualify a person from heaven? Let me answer it to you my way. All sin disqualifies us from heaven. And we all sin. So we're all disqualified from heaven. Every one of us. Steve, that's real encouraging. Thanks. No, the person who's sad and miserable and hurts themselves is in the same boat as you and I. Maybe you're a liar. Maybe you're a cheater. Maybe you're a thief. Maybe you're a little faithless. Maybe you're a little unkind. Maybe you're a little selfish. We're all sinners. What keeps us out of heaven? Being a sinner keeps you out of heaven. So none of us are going, Steve? Not unless somebody can fix us. Not unless somebody can forgive our sin. If somebody can take away our sin, then we can go to heaven, whether you're a liar or a cheater or not. You, you following me? I think the mistake we make is trying to put suicide in a class by itself as if that had its own class. It doesn't. It doesn't fit even in the book. It doesn't warrant one of the top ten slots. Is suicide right? No. Is it wrong? Of course it's wrong. But don't torment yourself further 
by thinking that because somebody killed themselves, they're going to hell. That's irrelevant. What's relevant is whether or not the person has given their, Christ, their life to Christ. That's what's relevant. And that matters for the person who's killed themselves or Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinful, and we all need to be forgiven of our sins. And the way to do that is by giving our lives to Christ, who died for us and rose again. Suicide is a sad, discouraging, difficult topic. If you or a loved one are struggling with that right now, please seek help. I got a, somebody sought me out a few months ago and said something to me like this. I suggested that person seek professional help when that person was that discouraged. And that person said to me, well, what if the doctor calls me nuts and tries to institutionalize me? And here was my answer. I said, is that the worst that could happen? I said, that might not happen, but you're right, it might. But you're at the place right now where you're ready to kill yourself. That's the worst that can happen. This doctor might be able to help you feel better. And if it takes that, it takes that. And the person said, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. You're right. And the person went and got some help. And I was so thankful. Let's step away from this. I don't like this topic. It's sad. It's hurtful. It's impossibly difficult to deal with. But if you know somebody that discouraged, you pray for them and don't not tell them to get help. Don't worry that that might upset them. If they're that upset already, tell them to get help. They just might do it. Well, if you think things were bad for Saul and his armor bearer, let's take a look at David. Things weren't going so great for him either. Started out great. David is chosen the next king of Israel in secret, just as him and his family know. And then in the next chapter, he finds this giant threatening Israel, and he challenges to fight him. You know the story. He takes out a sling, hits him in the head, kills the guy, whacks off his head. All the soldiers are scared. They run. Israel pursues victory. Because of David, Israel won the battle against the Philistines. Then the women come out and start singing songs. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. When Saul heard that about David, he got mad. David's getting more honor and glory than me. What a man, huh? David just saves Israel, and Saul's all bent out of shape that he's not getting as much praise as David. And he's so bent out of shape that he tries to kill David. Again, and 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 again. And finally, the Bible says, just end many more times. So finally, David, after hiding in caves and running around mountains and constantly being chased and harassed from village to village, finally, in distress, says, i got to get out of Israel altogether. I'm moving to Afghanistan. Not really. Gaza Strip. Yeah, that's where it is today. So you can imagine it today. Poor David, what a messed up life. Then he joins up with the Philistines, goes off to battle with them. They won't take him to the battle, which is all good, because he probably didn't want to fight Israel anyway. He comes home and his village is destroyed, and his entire family and everybody else's family is enslaved. Times are good. Kills Goliath, chosen king, hounded by King Saul, flees for his life, lives amongst his enemies, his village is destroyed. And here's the kicker, number seven. He was a good, godly man. 
Well, you turn on the TV and the radio today, pastors won't tell you those things happen to good godly men. If you just have enough faith, you'll be rich and healthy. Poor David, who wrote all this, half the Psalms, was king of Israel and a prophet. Guess he didn't have enough faith. Jesus must not have had much faith either. You know what happened to him. Most of the apostles were martyred. Must have not had enough faith. Man, these guys on TV, they must have some serious faith. Because the way I read the Bible, people suffer. Good people suffer, bad people suffer. It's part of living in this life. Imagine a jungle, all right? And on the other side of the jungle, and it's miles deep, on the other side is beautiful pasture land, huts, a, a crystal clear stream with fish in it, fruit trees. You don't even have to work there. You just pull fruit off the drop in a line, you, you got food. But you're in the jungle, and you want to get to the paradise. How do you get there? You all know it's there. How do you get there? Well, you got to walk through the jungle. In the jungle, the spiders will kill you. The snakes will kill you. The, the lions will kill you. The mosquitoes will kill you. <laughs> Jungle's a dangerous place. And anybody who tries to walk through the jungle dies. But what other option do you have? You're in the jungle. you got to get out. So you start heading out. Then somebody comes along and says, hey, I've taken 20 people just like you. I know the jungle. I can take you through the jungle. Now, I'm in the jungle like this. He's wearing leathers. He's got a spear, a water jug, his face all painted up. And he walked up behind me, and I didn't hear him coming. He says, I can get you through the jungle alive. I'm like, dude, lead the way. I'm following him. Because even if he's lying, I'm not any worse off. I'm dying in the jungle. So I'm going to follow the guy. Life is a jungle. You're not going to come out of it alive, but there's a guide who can get you through to the other side. David, good, God-fearing man, living in a cave. Saul is living in a palace. Now, David wasn't a bad guy, so I won't put this on him, but I know there's a lot of people who go through hard times, see people in good times, and then envy them because of it. And the Bible says, don't envy the wicked. I mean, there's a bunch of people burning up London because they think their lives are bad, and it's all the government's fault. Well, it may all be the government's fault, but their lives aren't so bad. David, his life, excuse my French, sucked. There was nothing good in it from a physical perspective. So you could understand why some people, when their lives get down, get a little envious of the wicked because they seem to be doing so good. Saul's living in a palace and he's evil. I'm the anointed chosen one of God and I live in a cave. I'm not saying David said that. But people say that kind of thing all the time. I'm a hardworking man. I'm faithful to my wife. I pay my taxes. And I haven't had a job in six months. And I'm sick and I can't afford health insurance. And here's this scoundrel who everybody knows he's a scoundrel. He's a multi-billionaire. And we start to envy the wicked. Don't envy the wicked. The Bible says so. Is that all, Steve? No, there's more to it than that. There was a prophet... I call him a prophet because I don't know what else to call him. He wrote some psalms in the Bible. So he was a, a Levite. I don't know what he was, but he wrote some psalms, so I'm calling him a prophet. 
And he says in one of his psalms that he almost turned his back on God and lost his faith when he saw evil people prospering when his life was so tough. So you're not the only one who's been there. It's actually in the Bible. Let me read to you some of the psalm of Asaph, Psalm 73. It says, a psalm of Asaph, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Twelve. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. I've lived a good, godly life, and it, I've wasted my time. That's what he's saying. Because I'm miserable, and look at those scoundrels. They hate God, and they've got it good. I love God, and I've got it miserable. Why bother? Yeah, that's in the Bible. And if that was the end of the story, that'd be pretty distressing. But fortunately, that's not the end of the story. Verse 16, he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. He says, it didn't make any sense to me. It's not fair. Life's not fair. Three truer words I've never heard. And yet we say it all the time as if it's surprising to us. We start as soon as we learn how to speak. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. And we go to the election polls. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> Okay, let's agree. Can you agree with me? Life's not fair? All right. Let's just get through the jungle. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He thought the wicked had it so good. But then he got in touch with God, and he realized his perspective was skewed. They don't have it so good after all. Their end, the end result for all of them is going to be miserable, and it's going to happen fast. See, Asaph was heavy-hearted. He was depressed. He was sad. He was discouraged. He wasn't quite this discouraged. But he was so discouraged, he was ready to give up his faith in God. Here's what he said. Listen, this is extremely important. When my heart was grieved, my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. When you're distressed, you're not thinking clearly. That's what he finally realized. And what happens, and it's not just with people who want to hurt themselves, it's life in general. Do not make major decisions when you're not yourself. When you are emotionally tied to something, good or bad, is not the time to be making a major decision. Maybe that's the time to be seeking counsel. And going to your friends and saying, you know what, my head is too wrapped up into this, I cannot think clearly, what do you think I should do? Thank you. And to your next friend, and to your next friend, and to your next friend. And I guarantee you, you will get clear counsel. But when you're wrapped up into something and it hurts so bad you can barely breathe, when your heart is heavy within you, don't be making decisions. 
it's not the time. When my heart was grieved, I was senseless and ignorant. How many of you have been there and know you've been there? Yeah. So you don't have to have the answers when you're hurting. Just know one thing and embrace it hard. When you're hurting, that's not the time to make big decisions about anything. So he felt like abandoning God, but God never felt like abandoning him. And he recognized that afterwards. He says, you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll take me into glory. You'll walk through the jungle with me, and then when I'm out, you'll take me to heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Asaph was in distress. He looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and it grieved him all the more. But eventually he realized, in verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Life is sometimes hard on good people. And life is sometimes good on bad people. That is a fact of life. But I think Asaph, like he said, wasn't thinking too clearly. When I look at the wicked, their bodies are healthy. They got no worries. They got no pains. They got no trouble. How do you know? Did you go to the doctor with them? I'm telling you, these guys sleep around on TV all the time, and none of them get diseases. That's on TV. In real life, they're at the doctor's office, miserable, getting prescriptions, hoping that the latest thing they caught is curable. Yeah, make faces, because it's dirty. On TV, it's all fun. In real life, it's not so fun. Oh, Saul, he lives in a palace while we're out here with David in the desert. Yeah, he lives in a palace where he's tormented by demons. So insane that he tries to murder his own son, and the end result is he kills himself when he watches his sons die. Ooh, life's good. Don't envy the wicked. Grass is always greener on the other side. There's nothing over there worth having when the price is that high. I loved that title of the book from 30 years ago. Life is always greener over the septic tank. Puts a little perspective into it. Kind of like me. I, I, I love the woods, but I don't like mosquitoes. If I could have the woods without the mosquitoes, I'd take the woods. But I hate the mosquitoes. But you can't have the woods without the mosquitoes. And that just stinks. I love chocolate cake, but I don't love the mirror <laughs> if I indulge in too much chocolate cake. You can't have the chocolate cake without looking in the mirror, Steve. So a little moderation. Wicked people do pay for their wickedness. You may not see it, but don't envy the wicked. We don't know how well they sleep at night. Me, I sleep like a baby. That is, my conscience is clear. I may not sleep so well because I got a crick in my neck or the air conditioner isn't just right. But I'm thank God for a bed and an air conditioner because imagine what that crick would feel like sleeping under a bridge somewhere. So we got to count our blessings and not envy the wicked. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying all prosperous people are wicked. And how about this? Are all wicked people prosperous? Are all wicked people rich? No. Most wicked people aren't rich. Most wicked people have miserable lives. 
but we focus on one, the billionaire who made the news. Wow, he's got a great life. And then why is he on the news? <laughs> Trouble is part of life, whether you're God-fearing or not. This side of heaven, this end of the jungle, God delivers us through trials, not from trials. That passage of scripture that you guys sang, one of the most famous psalms in all of the Bible, you probably have it memorized just because you heard it on TV so many times. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It doesn't say, yea, though I started in the valley, but I'm a faithful person, so God kept me from the valley. It doesn't say that. The, the point is, he is a faithful person, and he has to walk through the valley, through the jungle. We don't like the jungle, but there it is. We can go through the jungle alone, or thou art with me. We can go on our own wisdom, or his rod and staff can comfort us. We get that option. And I want to go through my valleys with God, not alone. You say, Steve, wouldn't it be great if life was all good and there was no pain and sorrow and suffering? Yes, it would. And cake didn't have calories, and mosquitoes didn't bite. And the day's coming. It's called heaven. The day is coming. But for now, mosquitoes bite, cake has calories, and the mirror still tells the truth. So, <laughs> oh, life's sad. David walked through the valley when Saul was chasing him all over the place. Saul walked through the valley too, but he walked through alone. He was so distressed, he went and sought out a witch for some words of hope and comfort. It's sad, sad. By the way, how did it turn out for David? David went and rescued every person that was taken captive. Not one person died. He ended up with ten times the money that was stolen from him, and he became the king of Israel. And everything was good in David's life up until the point he turned his back on God and caused chaos in his own family and brought in more despair. All right. Now, I told you I didn't want to send you home depressed. I wanted to send you home with a smile on your face. For most of you, no matter how hard your lives get, it'll never be anything like these few chapters right here that we just saw. They made it through. You can make it through. There is a light at the end of the tunnel if your hope is in God and not in something else or somebody else. The harder it gets, the more time you need in prayer. So what do we do, Steve, when life is so miserable we don't know what to do? You memorize this passage of Scripture. You live it, you own it. Do not be anxious about anything, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be worried about anything. Don't be stressed or distressed about anything. But in everything, anything that's stressing you out, hurting you, distressing you, making you miserable, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your mind and hearts in Christ Jesus. So what do you do when your life is miserable? You pray. And you pray more, and you pray more. And put your hope in God. And wait for Him to walk you through that valley of the shadow of death. Now, you got your little green cards? I don't want it to just be words. 
want us to start ahead of the game. If you're not in the misery index right now, praise God. This is great. If you are in the misery index right now, praise God. This is going to get better. All right? Here's your little card. I've given you the verse on the top of it. Do not be anxious about anything, distressed, worried, whatever words you want to write in there that works for you. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. So, number one, what am I anxious about? This is for you to fill out. Uh, if you don't want the person next to you seeing it, wait till you take it home. This is for you. Because you may be about stressed about something you don't want anybody else to know about. Fine. I don't want you to put something petty on there. I want you to think of the number one thing in your life that's causing you misery. And if there's nothing on there, pray, put praise God on there and then put somebody else's need in that place. And if you don't know somebody to pray for, come see me. I'll give you somebody to pray for. Okay? Put the number one thing on there. What am I stressed about, anxious about, worried about, distressed about? You write that in there. Then number two says, or the second check says, this is what I'll pray about. Good. But it didn't say just pray. It said pray with thanksgiving. That's what the rest of this is for. What are you thankful about? Something I've noticed about life. Imagine this is the, the well-balanced life, okay? And then something bad happens in your life. You lose your job. Uh, a loved one hates you. Now life stinks, right? That's how we are. Whoa, what's over on this side? You don't think about it, so it weighs nothing. This card's going to help you think about it. Well, I'm 50 years old. True, I've been unemployed for the last three months, but for all my 50 years, I've never missed a day without food, and for 49 of those 50 years, I have been employed. Doot, doot, doot. I'm not the healthiest person on the block, but at least I'm not in the hospital coughing up my lungs. Doot, doot, doot. <laughs> well, I might lose the house, but I've got three friends who have offered me a room and two kids with big mansions. Doot, doot, doot. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. <laughs> Okay, so you lost your job. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's easy. But when we're distressed, we're not thinking clearly. This card is to help you get a little more balance back into your life. God has done great things for you. So put that stressful thing up there. Don't forget about it. But also list all the blessings that you have in your life so you can look at this other thing in perspective in light of all the things God has done for you. And then pray and pray some more. It's funny... It may be easier for you to come up with what's stressing you out, but I guarantee you, you've got more blessings in your life than you do curses in your life right now. It's just the way God is. It's the way he rolls. He blesses us so much that we take him for granted and don't even think about his blessings. Let me show you one of his blessings right now. Perfect example of one that we totally forget about. <gasps> Did you know that's a gift from God? I'm not saying that just to be a spiritual pastor. It says so in the Bible. Your breath is a gift from God. He gives you every breath you take. It's not like he gave you a breath bank account and said, here, you're going to get 10000 When you use them up, you're dead. Don't run. <laughs> See, exercise is bad for you. <laughs> Bring on the cake. <laughs> no, he purposely says, Steve, you're going to breathe now. Breathe because I love you and want you around just a little longer. 
And you know, let me go back to this losing your house thing, which is real for some of you. I know this. Let me give you a for instance, okay? Now, it may not be your story. I'm not telling your story. I'm telling mine. A story. Been unemployed for three months. Can't pay the mortgage. You're going to lose your house. That's stressful. That's sad, and it's discouraging. But you got kids with their houses, you got cousins with their houses, you got friends with their houses, you got even uh, friends and relatives who've offered you a place to stay during this hard time. Well, I don't want to be a bum and live off of somebody else. Well, that's a bad attitude. Somebody's just offered you some serious love. You think they want you in their house? They're loving on you, man. What's more important at this point? A little bit of love and humility or having your own house? God loves love and humility. A house, Jesus didn't have one, okay? You with me? So maybe it takes losing a house to grow in love and humility, not only in your life and family, but in those five people who offered you a house. They've just grown. They've offered love, an opportunity they've never had before. That'll go to heaven with all of you. No, you don't want to lose your house. I understand that. But we look at everything so backwards. God will take that mess and make goodness come out of it. Real good goodness. So fill this out. Praise God for your blessings. And please join me in prayer. Lord, I know how Asaph felt when he was in despair. I had been there before. And I don't doubt that many people listening right now have been there before. And some, sadly, may be there right now. And so I pray for them. We pray for them those who are in despair, those who, whose hearts are heavy, that, Lord, they would not make a big decision with a broken heart. And we pray that friends would step up around them and offer them support and encouragement and that they would see that love and be strengthened by it, that they wouldn't dwell on the negative, but they would count their blessings and be overjoyed by the love that you have poured out them in, on them in every other area. And Lord, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. Some through suicide, some through cancer, some through just what we call old age, but it's just the, the consequences of living in a fallen world. It's never pleasant to lose a loved one. And I pray that you'd bless their hearts and comfort them. Lord God, we thank you for the food. We thank you for the roofs over our head. But God, while we're thinking clearly, help us above all things to grow in love and humility. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.